we'll, we'll have some questions now. But what came to me just as Liam was finishing was, was, I think it was my first week in the Irish Times newsroom, and I discovered that in a daily newspaper, Friday is unlike any other. <laughs> and um, the, the trick on Friday is to get out early. But I got stuck late because I hadn't been there before and I didn't, I didn't see what was happening. Great game of past was on and I was left with the parcel. But there was one other person left in that newsroom, much more experienced than journalist than myself. And everybody else had gone to the pub and there was just the two of us there. And uh, she seemed to be writing personal letters. That's all I could all I could see. She had a pile of envelopes and she had a whole lot of paper and she was and anyhow curiosity got the best better of me. And I said to her, Olivia, it was Olivia O'Leary, <laughs> I said, uh, what are you doing, Olivia? And she said, I'm writing my thank you notes. And I thought that was very important. She had a list of people she'd contacted during the week. She was writing her thank you notes. And I, I, I just thought I'd add that to, to Liam's list because of people <coughs> help you. And it's, it's easier nowadays, you can send them an email, mm -hmm. but, you, but you do it, you can go back to them. Or maybe, if you're lucky, they might come back to you. Mm -hmm. So that's enough wisdom from Greybeard. Um, <laughs> questions, please. Take it. Um, just before I ask my question, a little folktale, your, your story about not being on, on two sides of the, of, of the, of the issue. Reminds me of a folk tale I heard uh, predating my own uh, glorious entry into journalism, where uh, a journalist uh, allegedly wrote uh, the '70s will be socialist speech for Brendan Corrish in the Labour Party, and then went back to his office and wrote an editorial about it. Just two questions for for uh, thank you both for your very interesting uh, talks. Uh, just two particular questions um, uh, for Liam. Number one, um, the mechanics of setting up your own website, including the cost, uh, it's something I consider doing, but uh, it's kind of a grey area and I, I, I didn't dip my toe in the water, if I can, can I mix metaphors like that. And secondly, why did you need to do uh, uh, how to run a business course? I mean, if it was uh, it, it doesn't sound to me like the kind of work you're talking about. Uh, why does it require a, a course in how to run a business? Was that to do with tax or, or what? Thank you. Okay, <coughs> okay I'm just very briefly. Um, I deliberately, obviously, because for time constraints and that, I didn't go into the building of websites and, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and trying to give you a simple answer to it. Um, I think once you decide, I think it would be a good idea if I had a website on uh, pet grooming, let's say. You know, you like mm -hmm. pet grooming and you think there's some good work to be done about writing about pets and pet grooming. The actual mechanics, and I'm not uh, you know, taking lightly what I say, is actually fairly straightforward. By that I mean there are various offerings. I mean, even you go into Google and you say, uh, how do I build a website? And you will be swamped with the the, the, the websites that will come back saying join us, join us, join us and they've all reached the point now 
where it's very much what, like what we encounter in our ordinary lives. It's all point and click, right? Mm. So I would just say to you, I mean, okay, I, I give you a specific answer. The company that I use, because they were the one I founded, was an American company called Homestead. And uh, what they, they were quite big at the time, what they would do, you say, I want, uh, I want the link to my website to be petgroomingireland.com and they will register petgroomingireland.com for you and they'll do whatever stuff that I don't understand, whatever bit needs to be done with internet servers around the world <coughs> that when somebody says I'm on petgroomingireland.com it comes to your website and then the software that you get you download it onto your laptop I'm sure because I remember working with a guy subsequent to that who was doing this so that people could build it from a virtual I suppose now you'd say from the cloud where you say yeah I want I want to be able to run video on my site so you click a little video camera and you pull that down so what I'm saying to you David and I hope it's, it's helpful that there are umpteen options about how to build them you know and they're very user friendly and they're very easy and they're not at all um, technocratic and all I can say is that it was only, even as I was speaking today I was just reflecting on it I think I would have had three to four websites I think over the years on different things I had I had on farua.com to become a sports journalist I had limericksoviet.com to promote the book I had leancahill.com uh, for the if you like the PR world um, and then I have a blog the 12 o'clock blog so there's four and that's and that's I'm talking about content websites as opposed to you, you could do a simple version which is go to one of the blogging companies Tax was the last reason I went on that business course, uh, in, in my mind. Anyway. What I felt was useful was um, when, you're, when you're not in full-time employment, you don't have a job, right? So it's depending on you, either as a freelance journalist or as a freelance PR person, that you've got to bring in enough money that you can pay the bills and that somewhere in between there's enough for you to kind of go out at the weekend or, or whatever, you can, you can get swamped very, very easily. And you can, um, you, you can start worrying about stuff that you don't need to be worrying about. Am I covering my costs, uh, etc.? And all I found was that it was very beneficial for me. And it did me one favor it, 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 um, in terms of the business, because I, I was developing on Farua as a business. I wanted to be able to get didn't want to become a millionaire, but I wanted a lifestyle remuneration that I could run my life out of it. And it made me learn that, about six months into it, that if you are paying out money to contributors, or if you are uh, paying to advertise your site, or buying a piece of software, if you don't replenish that in your bank account by something you get for, say, in that case, selling ads on the site, then it goes down to zero eventually. So it's very basic stuff like that that I learned, which I have to say, 25 years prior to that, working in newsrooms certainly didn't, because I was very privileged. I worked in large organizations which were at that time well-funded. And as far as I was concerned, it was somebody else's business. And the last thing I wanted was some advertising uh, suit coming to me saying, you know, if we do this, we can sell more. So that's, that was the reason. Thank you. Yeah. Some of our younger friends down the back must have a question. 
But I've already spoken. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just one, one question very briefly. And I must say, that's right. I must agree totally with you. It was actually getting involved in Irish language media that gave me the introduction to be able to get into um, mainstream English, uh, English language. And uh, what advice would you have for someone? You mentioned there are people with a bit of Irish. Mm. Where it mightn't be good enough to go and read well, the Nook, for example, or <coughs> write, you know, tourist guide in, in the Irish Times, but yet they may be able to, you know, with a bit of um, polish, may be able to get by and, and, yeah. in other ways. Okay, I try and I try and keep my answer as sharp as I can. I mean, one of the things that struck me even again as I was listening to myself is. There's a lot of blood, sweat and tears involved in being a freelance. That's not, I don't think that's any news to any of you, you know? And you have to, you have to think to yourself, if I want to do this, if I want to bring my um, knowledge and familiarity and utility in the Irish language up to a level where I can credibly say to somebody, you know, I could, I could actually do a piece for you uh, on, on that in Irish, in conversation in Irish. <coughs> There can be a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. So I try to be careful. I mean, I was asked by care to give my own personal experience. So I was in a category where I was at an all-Irish school, so I came out of school with a good knowledge. But I also said to myself, I suppose I was young at the time, but I kind of said, you know, something, I'm not going to throw this away. Maybe there'll be a time, sometime in my life, when this might be useful to me. So I, I, I kept in touch with it. But I would say, if you're somebody who... Uh, in a one-to-one -one situation over lunch or in a pub could carry on quite a, a comfortable if you're comfortable in a conversation in Irish with somebody for a duration of half an hour three quarters of an hour or an hour or whatever it might be or somebody on a long train journey or a Lewis that suggests to me that with a bit of focus a little bit of blood sweat and tears maybe at a Gaelic course mm. or first in Gaelic or maybe go to one of the places down in Connemara that, you know, or there's a, actually a very good one in, in, uh, in the Donegal as well, where they take people from all over the world and, you know, they bring up their knowledge of Irish quite high. So you need to put a bit of blood, sweat and tears into getting yourself, you know, formal tuition, which brings you up to that higher level. I wouldn't, I'm not at all suggesting, I don't think you understood me said either, that if you've got some sort of school-based Irish and no more than that, um, that you should immediately start reinventing yourself. But there was a time. I think the time is there still on the web. There are still quite a lot of good, when I say respectable, you know what I mean, really good journal, journalism being done on the web in the Irish language. A lot of it from the north, actually, as it happens, right? And all I'm saying to you is laying out to you that there is a resource and a hinterland of outlets where if you have the little button or the little ring in your lapel that brings you in. There is work to be done, there are rewards to be gained. And as you said, I think this is the important thing as well, where, because my idea actually at the time at other events took over, was that I would get into writing political columns through the Irish language, and then my next port of call mm. was planned to be doing the same thing, but doing it in English. Because the idea was, somebody says to me, but sure, you know, you know, what, 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 why should we bring you on to do this? And you say, well, actually, I've been doing it in Irish for the last two years for the Irish Times. And why don't I give you one and you have a look at it or something? So, 
By the way, I can recommend the Igeskale Irish language course. That's the one I was trying Glenn to do. Kill, Kite's going to go. And the fact that my cousin runs it is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, it didn't put me off, I can tell you. I was going to recommend the Mays Prison. <laughs> that's a jail cut. <laughs> yeah, Igeskale, that's the one I was trying to think of. Yeah, okay. Yes, there is somebody down there. Can you speak up? We can't hear you. Yeah, sure. Just a question for Claire. Um, just when you were commissioning pieces from freelancers, were you willing to entertain one's uh, work from maybe someone you hadn't that much prior knowledge of or who was maybe less experienced? Would you have yeah, that, that a was good pitch? Would you have given that consideration? It probably you know, there was there was different levels at which I was um, commissioning. One was when I was on the news desk. I was a, a news editor on the Irish Independent, and that was for from two thousand two thousand and six. And I'm just trying to think now. Okay, so you'd get my get. I'm just trying to think now. Work through what my attitude would have been. It was free. Like I was on the news desk, as I say. Mm -hmm. So somebody would ring up, and if they had a story or something like that. Yeah, we would entertain it, but obviously the nature of the news desk is you, you would probably want somebody another reporter to check it out so while you would take it you know from one person you would also check their you know what I mean their kind of credentials and then you you would do some sort of a check you know you know, for the but that would be the first time that would just be the first time features would be slightly different and when I was commissioning then for the Herald, which was more in the capacity of um, columnists, analysts, opinion pieces, you know, for for a few years then, um, would I have taken chances? Yes, I would actually, because then it was all about um, one's writing style. I mean, just for example, there was we were we needed a new cartoonist at one stage. The Herald was you know had a new cartoon every day, obviously. And but it was commissioned at seven o'clock in the morning. Now it was, and I remember a guy coming in, and he was—I can't remember what his profession or what his work was—but he literally made an appointment to come in. He sent us in emails in a few cartoons, and they were quite well drawn, and and there were quite you know pertinent captions on them. But the whole thing about whether did this take the guy a week to do this, or can he turn it around? So so he came in, we met him. And you know, trialed him a few times, as in kind of ringing him up and saying, "Okay, Declan, you know what I mean? It, th these are the things that we're actually looking at today. This is the big story." And he was taken on on that basis. I mean, he turned out he could write very, yeah, you know, he could draw fairly quickly, put good at captions in, and that worked. So I think in in news, there has to be a sort of a, a kind of you know a couple of times where you build a relationship, you have a story. Um, you send it in, there might be some checks done before it's published, but once you pass the mark, then you're fine. And in features, again, it's, it's trying to attract the attention. It, it is so busy now that, you know, I would suggest, and maybe Leslie-Anne went through this this morning, that you send in a pitch, but you also do, you do a sample of your writing and your links to kind of whatever pictures that might be available or p potential op opportunities, because it is a, it's still... Despite the cutbacks and financial squeeze in the sector, it has got a voracious appetite for content, which you know I mean, a much greater appetite for stuff than was there previously. So yes, your answer the first time, but it's only going to be the first time once. So you make your impression then, you know what I mean? And then after that, you have a relationship. So you know what I mean? Like if, if you want to go to a different publication, um, it, it really it can be a little bit hard to get to past the first hurdle. But as I say, the appetite for content is so yeah, voracious, so you know. And like say, if you have examples of stuff you've done, you yeah. 
for well-known publications, then obviously that's a bit of a stamp. Like yeah, you you also you have to start somewhere. This is a, this is a vexed question, which is not a new question about what you should do for free. I I would make a massive distinction between doing stuff for voluntary organisations, for your causes that you feel passionately about or you support and that you want to give of your service free and doing stuff for nothing for people who are going to make money out of it. There's a massive <laughs> distinction there. And I know they kind of blur a bit because you have, say charities, just say a charitable organisation, but they pay for some stuff, you know what I mean? And like, you know, it's a national charities and they pay for content. And you don't want to, you're not, you don't want to undercut another person. But I'm talking about, you know what I mean, your local school, the, the clubs that um, Liam was talking about. And it's a valid piece of work you've produced. And that is available to you to produce to somebody else. You know what I mean? Kind of, you know, as you step up. It could be, and I'm not undercutting local publications, but if one of your causes wants to get publicity, write it like a story. I've done that a few times, you know what I mean, for family members who want to kind of get something in the local paper. I know what it's like being working in a local paper. They don't necessarily have the resources to start getting somebody to rewrite it. The only chances to get it in was to write it like a story. That is still then part of your portfolio and that's a really good first step I don't mean to be like I'm making it sound like I'm being absolutely um, uh, kind of cold and ruthless about the way you approach your kind of voluntary life but you know what I mean the, the, the one part of your life can support another part of your professional yeah. life well, I've, done, I've done a good professional stuff before but it's yes. more like if it's you know it was actually more in the UK, so it's like yeah. I wouldn't really have the connections here. But I suppose if you can just show that you have yeah. stuff and that you're up to a certain standard. standard yeah. Um, and I thought it was interesting as well. Sorry, just to ask a second question: What you're saying about the um, doing case studies for the charities? Because that would be something mm. I'd love to do. But is there like? What way would you say you go about kind of making connections? You see, that, that one of the things I had in my own notes, but then I'm just looking at the group, there's quite a lot of young people here. You kind of have put yourself out there. And like journalism is a very organic type thing. It's not something that's up there away from the rest of your life. It is going to, I mean, you write about, you film, you record stuff that you're involved in as people's lives. So like some of the best journalists for getting news stories and everything are people who see something, know somebody, hear something in the course of the rest of life and then actually realize the significance of it. So what I'm saying is that um, like how I got usually the first paid work in that sort of line was I did that sort of work on a voluntary basis for something yeah. that I was at a loose end. Um, I believed in what they were doing. And I actually, it was something I hadn't done before. It was literally kind of people who were, you know, the, the newspapers wanted their voice and their opinion on it, but they weren't necessarily either at the time or the capacity to put it together. I would interview them, type it up, da da da, is this what you want to say? Send it to them, and then it was sent off. And then somebody else who was involved in the campaign worked in her professional life in an organization that had been paying for. You know, a similar type, and I don't say what it was, but for kind of various publications they had, you know, my per this person's story and that person's story. So that they had been paying 
people to do it so I wasn't sort of you know doing it for nothing and uh, but it, it was one I could do it and I actually quite enjoyed doing it I, I found it a very enjoyable experience so it, it, it is you make connections in your normal life I, I don't think there's kind of you know when you're going to come on a website or somebody advertising something to do this but look around at publications look at every brochure for it that's ever been written for any organization and sure as anything they will have you know, I mean, somebody's testimonial, something about that. Um, a lot of the charitable organisations and a lot of the professional. I mean, who writes all these things for AIB and the banks? They have prof- professional people writing that. Now, again, I know it's already been raised, Daglon. You know, you have to think about whether there is likely to be a conflict. If you are wanting to specialise in financial or business journalism, then I would strongly recommend that you don't take on paid work for one of the banks or something like that, you know yeah, what I mean? That's a conflict. You know, yeah, but if you're a crime journalist and the you know, the Hospice Foundation assets do, I mean, I'm not seeing that there's going to be a massive yeah, exactly. conflict there, you know. And it, it, like the reason I mentioned that sort of work is because it is a way of honing your craft and to making a living. Yeah. While you know what I mean, you can have this yeah. sort of stuff going on as well. It's I mean. A great way of using your it's exactly so you're honing your craft and you're using your craft you're getting paid quite well for it at a particular point in time where you might not be getting pay, paid that well for what i would consider the you know the actual the nub of what it is being a journalist is but there's not necessarily a reason to say you can't you know manage them both can i say so just say in partial response mm-hmm. to the point you've been dealing with I did some work on a, a book for Ed Walsh, the founder of the University of Limerick, yeah. that brought me into contact with Atlantic Philant- mm. Philanthropies. They said to me, I'm alighting mm. things a bit now, but they said to me that we have some projects that we are funding in Ireland and we want some, but we want some record of them. Mm. They didn't want a social worker's record yes. of it. They wanted a plain no, language record. Yeah. Of them. I found myself travelling around the country, um, uh, interviewing all manner of strange of people with peculiar to me lifestyles, um, uh, chronicling their their mm. isolation and how they dealt with it, and this all went into into the package mm. of the financing of, of a, a series of projects for Atlantic Philanthropies. Mm. Now nobody interfered with what I did, mm. I just interviewed interviewed mm. people, wrote up the interviews and handed mm. them in. Um, the, there's no compromise there at all and, and <coughs> it was just to answer, the short answer to your question was, I, I, I knew somebody in the sector through Atlantic Philanthropies and it just came out of that. And it was a smashing job. It was a wonderful <coughs> job. I'm very proud of that work, although I think they only made 200 copies of it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but there you go. So it's contacts. It's, it's get in and ask. Or be asked. <laughs> sorry, somebody else? You, sorry. sorry just a two quick points and a very quick question. There's one thing that didn't come up, I think, is um, the pigeon planner to make sure that you have a photo idea, particularly if it's for a weekend mm. paper. If you can go to them and say, I've got a good, fo- you know, here's a photo that will run with us, as opposed to having to use some crap stuff. There's actually mm. a story I'm trying to do at the moment, but it's impossible to illustrate, so I'm mm. actually going to just park it entirely. Secondly, don't be afraid if you're 
doing a story for print and you think it has potential to go on the mm -hmm. radio, contact the radio stations, the editors are happy that you've got your mm -hmm. more impact for that story. Mm -hmm. And then the third question, the third thing was a question for you guys. Um, what is the appropriate balance between follow-up emails and harassment of an editor? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, look, again, from like I, I was commissioning at different levels. One, one was on a news desk. One was a commission thing, and I never was involved in commissioning features and stuff like that. Look, timing is everything, as you know. I mean, and if you're commissioning a feature or a piece like that, the best time, obviously, if something happens in the news or something is bubbling away, you know what I mean. Kind of your your timing has to be right. I, there's there's not that many interesting features that if you've been plugging away for the few okay make sure the person you're dealing with isn't on holidays or that their deputy isn't on holidays so that they can give paid attention I mean I won't give you a time but I, I would say that look if if you are satisfied with the person you're <coughs> pitching to has actually heard it read your pitch and you know, it still hasn't come back to you then you come back to get a reminder and then maybe a reminder of why it might be particularly relevant or the time sensitivity of it. I mean, that is always a good thing to do. I mean, just for example, the Charlton Tribunal going on at the moment, you know, I'm sure if somebody had, okay, it's probably not a great idea, but I'm just thinking of a current news story. Somebody has, I mean, like you see lots of stories now in the paper related to guard the disclosures, guard the whistleblowers and stuff like that, because it's in the public mind. A lot of those stories would never see the light of day if that tribunal wasn't running. So it's the same for features or any sort of thing. If there's something running in the background and you have an idea that is somehow relevant to that, that's the time to pitch it. And I'm sorry, when the other thing has ceased to be interesting, that's a good time to stop bothering, you know what I mean, the editor. I mean, make sure that, that the person you think you're sending it to has seen it. Um, if they've seen it and you then satisfy yourself that they've had a chance to respond to it, if they don't respond, I mean, I would follow up maybe twice, you know what I mean? Otherwise then it's kind of, it does look like a little bit like harassment, you know? And maybe at the, the final follow-up just to say, if I don't hear back by... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Her. You know what I mean? It, you know, it, 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 sometimes, without sounding threatening kind of thing. <laughs> but, but, but just because like, sometimes what can happen is somebody has it and says, that's a great idea. And often what will happen is that they think, that's great. I'll bring that on. I'll put that in the news list. I'll put that in the list. They've kind of sold it on higher up the thing. They'll be making their plans for it. And you know what? They might actually contact. The last person they might contact is, by the way, when are you going to have that for us? So do give them a chance, you know? So I, I can't I just, do more with that. Just yeah. that. First of all, I, I, the two ideas you said, are, I totally endorse them, absolutely. Um, you know, about cross-referencing between radio and print. Mm. They're minor maybe compared to what Claire said, but I, I would just say as well, um, if you have it in mind to pitch something to a particular publication, mm. let's say, for, to mm. keep it simple, it might seem very basic, but a lot of people don't do it or used to do it. Just become familiar with the publication mm -hmm. as well. Even, yeah. I mean, I, okay, I'll tell you the story. I had um, some time back, I'd done a creative writing course, and I thought, well, you know, I'm going to take a few baby steps here, and maybe I'll start off with stories in Ireland's own. Now, don't, um, mm. you know, and because it's actually, May Binchy started in Ireland's yeah. own, right? So what did I do? I went out and I bought Ireland's own you know, for four to five to six weeks to kind of get up mm. to speed and to get a feel because I'm sure Claire would agree, one thing that is that can lose you an editor's attention is if you pitch a story to a particular outlet that just doesn't deal with that kind of stuff. 
you know, let's say you do, you do, you decide to do something in the form of a profile, and there's some mm -hmm. peculiar mm -hmm. publication that we just don't do profiles. You know, we want mm -hmm. we want Q and A interviews. So, so get familiar with where you're pitching to. Second thing, and sound very basic, but I think it's worthwhile as well, uh, because there can be a lot of changes in media. People change jobs and so on. Mm -hmm. Try and be sure before you pitch it and before you send it who exactly you're to mm -hmm. send it to. Now, sometimes you can use the PR Institute do their very good publication every year, um, a, a, a media directory. On the other hand, you can, as I've done occasionally, you can simply Google, you know, features editor such and such, or editor of Northern Standard, or whatever. And the third thing you can do as well is get on the phone at the Gobda and say, um, I, come here, I was just wondering who looks out is who is there anybody who looks after features in your who's looking after features now in your opinion? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that's that's Mary Murphy actually. And then you know. So in other words, don't be sending it to uh Alison Kelly mm -hmm. who left the publication two years yeah. before and was the features editor mm -hmm. when it's actually Mary Murphy is there now. And I know my reaction, I see something addressed to my predecessor mm -hmm. and was it Jeez, he can't even. He doesn't even know who to send it to. So I'm not even going to look at it, even though you might. It might be Pulitzer Prize winning. Let somebody else give you the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> Just some practical things. Okay. All right. All questions done. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, thank you both. We did more than we asked.